The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the SB Nation NFL show. This is the NFC Draft Recap. And by the way, before we get started, I just want to say to you, RJ Ochoa, and you, Brandon Lee Gowden, May the 4th be with you. And also with you. May the 4th be with you as well. Yeah, uh, good times. Um, I know BLG's never seen Star Wars, so um, the reference is what? lost on him. Uh, but, uh, but you know, may the 4th be with you and I, Stats. This is worse than the food thing. I literally have like a life-sized costume of Darth Vader that I you can check out on my Instagram, at Brandon Gowton. Uh, or, and I posted on Twitter before as well. So just totally wrong. Once again, I'm, I'm in a trolley mood today. So that's why I mean, you know, let's just come out swinging. You know, it's the NFC edition. You know, it's the better, the, the more elite conference. So it is the NFC edition. We have a lot to get to. We're all NFC guys. Want to mention we're going to have a short interview with Christian McCaffrey that's going to air later in the show. Rachel caught up with him. So we'll talk to Christian McCaffrey, get his sort of Panthers take. But I want to start with the Dallas Cowboys. And I know that's going to be difficult for you, BLG, and happy for you, RJ. You crushed the Cowboys when we did our immediate SB Nation NFL show reaction on day two of the draft. Have your feelings changed at all, RJ? They really bounced back on on day three. Uh, Their first pick, Jabril Cox, was an insane value and. You know, BLG and I had talked about this on the NFC East mixtape, which, by the way, you can listen to tomorrow on either the Blog of the Boys or Bleeding Green Nation feeds. Um, I mean, about how I don't necessarily trust the Cowboys at linebacker, but they are kind of earning my trust back. It's been a very, very, very wild week uh, when you consider that over the course of the last seven days, Sean Lee has retired. They have drafted Micah Parsons. They have drafted Jabril Cox. They declined the fifth-year option on Leighton Vanderer. So uh, while it's not cool that they have sunk cost, uh, you know, or costs in Leighton and Jalen Smith, at least they are acknowledging that. Um, they did take a huge character red flag in the fourth round after Jabril Cox and Josh Ball. Um a, a player, and, and this is, you know, there's a lot to this, but has a lot of domestic violence uh, allegations against him from his time in college. Um, football-wise, projects to be potentially a fine tackle, but obviously that is a factor. Uh, you know, ultimately, the Cowboys also drafted Simi Fajoko, the wide receiver out of Stanford, who athletically uh, compares to Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, DK Metcalf, and Chase Claypool, kind of a mold that they don't currently have. So, 
I, it was a day where they bounced back that that particular character issue aside. Again, that is a big deal, though. Um, and so overall, I feel better about the draft. It's just last year's draft was so value based for the Cowboys that it's kind of hard to to feel the same way back to back years. I had the Cowboys in the losers. What a surprise, right? Well, first of all, because on the NFC East mixtape, it was me saying that I really didn't want the Cowboys to take an offensive lineman. Like that was kind of my maybe outside the box thinking. Like I think a lot of Eagles fans were like, didn't want them to get a cornerback because it was such a big need. But to me, I didn't want them to get an offensive lineman because I think the way the Cowboys are going to be undone if it happens, if that offense is going to like somehow fall apart, it's going to be because they, they're overestimating what they have on their offensive line. And I think this draft signaled that they're doing just that. I mean, RJ, you brought up before. Uh, Tyron Smith has not played 16 games in a season since 2015. He's entering his age 31 season. Zach Martin entering his age 31 season. He was injured last year. Leo Collins missed all of last year. Uh, I think the Cowboys overcorrected with a focus on defense. I get that they had to address the defense and try to improve it where they could. And I, I get some of that, but I think they kind of went too heavy on that and kind of ignored a big need, which was the offensive line. And we're going to get into the off the field stuff. On an NFC East mixtape, I'll leave that alone for right now. But they're the losers to me for not addressing the offensive line. They did pass on Rashawn Slater, sorry, stats, um, which, you know, and that's interesting. Like, I do like when when things like this happen because it tells us the way they view the construct of their roster. So they they clearly believe that linebacker is a is a more pressing issue, right? And that's, you know, maybe that, that does give you a sense of optimism, obviously, in that they, they clearly have more faith, you know, and maybe it's misplaced faith, but more faith in Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins and Zach Martin than they do in Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderish. And if I had to make a bet myself, I would rather bet on Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, and Zach Martin than Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderish. And so um, you can't fix everything. And so, yeah, like I still, you know, feel a particular way about, you know, the potential collapse of this offensive line again. Um, but I think it, it did work out. I mentioned this um, in the initial breakdown with stats when he and I were working harder than everybody. And just to be clear, uh, the Cowboys in trading back with the Eagles um, obviously allowed Philly to land Devontae Smith but they did not allow the New York Giants to land him. He was clearly going to go to one of the two because they were sitting behind the Cowboys. And so, and I mean this truly with no trolling intention, BLG, if I had to place him on one of the two rosters right now, I would rather place him on the Eagles roster. And so I, I think that that was a sort of, no pun intended, a defensive win for the Cowboys in that regard. I just think that when the Cowboys started their rise, they did it by building through the offensive line. And they could have taken Slater in the first round and then spent the next five picks on defense to help a a unit that clearly needed it. Instead, they go all six on defense. Like you said, their first round pick Parsons has character issues off the field, too. So there's, you know, there's questions there. I, I just think that the Cowboys needed to stick with, you know, what got them to where they are, which is the offensive line. I don't know. I I kind of think they should have gone offensive line round one. Zeke Elliott looked absolutely average last year. And I know there were a lot of issues along the offensive line, but Tony Pollard just looked flat out better. If you want Zeke to get back to being Zeke and they're paying him a ton of money, RJ, don't you think they should have invested earlier in the offensive line? No, because that's a sunk cost too. Like they've already, you know, made the mistake of spending a fir- the, not just the first round pick, but the fourth overall pick on a running back. Then they made the mistake of doubling down on it with a ninety million dollar contract. Zeke is awesome; it's great, and when he scores and you know pulls off big runs, which is rare now, um, you know we have a lot of fun with it. But like, no, like in fact, like let the Tony Pollard era t- transition begin. I mean, like. 
be the smart team that drafts Trey Sermon in the third round. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what I want for the Cowboys. And so um, I'm not saying that drafting an offensive lineman is doubling down on Zeke, but I'm I'm fine with them. I'm fine with them putting all their trust in Dak Prescott because offensively everything does go through him. Um, I do want to say just as a, as a bow to tell on this, the Cowboys spent their first six picks on defense. First time in franchise history that they spent their first six picks on defense. So everybody, I mean, the Cowboys had a lot of issues uh, stats last year, but everybody said this defense sucked. It was so bad, whatever. I mean, they literally threw more at it than they ever have in, in regards to the draft. They allowed 1,800, almost 1,800 rushing yards before contact last year that is insanely bad but they Uh, beat the Niners and Eagles in December just for what it's worth yeah you beat Nick Mullins congratulations that's a real accomplishment let's go to the Eagles now BLG I was so happy for you I was happier for you I think than I was for me in the draft because I had to hear you talk over and over again on the off day debrief about how Philly needed blue chip guys. They needed to do the smart, obvious thing and trade up and get blue chip players. And here they are. They move up. They trade with a division rival and they get a Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver. They got Devontae Smith. So I was going to put the Eagles as a winner, you know, for our winners and losers. But really, I think I am the winner here personally because I was (laughs) calling for this to happen. Clearly, I bullied the Eagles into doing this. Um, Jokes aside, this Eagles draft was different in years past in that they kind of went chalk, and especially compared to last year in 2020 when they tried to like really outthink themselves and, oh, we know better than the consensus. And actually, Justin Jefferson, not that great. Let's take Jalen Rager. Oh, we know better than everyone else. Let's take a quarterback with our number 53 overall pick, even though we just signed Carson Wentz to a contract extension a year ago. So they didn't try to do something totally galaxy brain this year. If you go by the athletics consensus big board, which uh, Harif Hassan does a good job with every year, uh, former Daily Norseman contributor Harif Hassan, um, I think the Eagles were like seventh in terms of draft value. So I like to see that. I like to see that they didn't try to outsmart themselves. They got Devontae Smith. That really matters more than anything. I almost don't even care about the rest of the draft at that point. Like the Lander <laughs> Dickerson thing is, is a big deal. And that'll be a big factor ultimately, like as we look down the line. But to me, like they got Devontae Smith. That's all that matters. He's going to be awesome. Easily the best wide receiver in the NFC now, especially from Alabama. You know, uh, BLG was kind of, pre-taking um you know when he was planting oh yeah Devonte smith is this year's justin jefferson like are, like trying to make amends for last year you know like in the process so that like if the eagles wound up with him he'd be able to fall back on that so well done by blg it's a great job kind of hedging your bet uh you mentioned the athletic dane brugler who i talked about a moment ago he power ranked all 32 draft classes and he actually had the eagles number one and it's hard to disagree with this i think the Eagles, look, it's a lot of fun to talk about this, but like they're obviously in a state of disarray. And I do think this is the right first step. Like it's, it's literally a first step, which they have outthought themselves on before. Um, I did see a Galaxy Brain take uh, that I saw Kiss shared uh, on Twitter. Uh, some Eagles, I, I don't know who, who it was, BLG, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Some Eagles fans said that it actually worked out better this way, that, that, the, that the Eagles drafted Jalen Rager. Because if, no. they dra- if they drafted Justin Jefferson, there's no way they end up with Devontae Smith. So this was really the best. <laughs> Sorry. But I saw Kiss saw- shared that dude like at 2 a.m. and was like, and with that, good night. It was just such a great yeah. end to that night. No. Disagree. Hard disagree. <laughs> so I don't know, though, RJ. Are they in a state of disarray? Because I'm looking at this and I say, okay. They drafted Jalen Rager in the first round last year. He didn't 
flash like the other guys, but maybe he could still be good. They have Devontae Smith. They have Travis Fulgham, right? They're trying to rebuild the offensive line a little bit. Travis Fulgham getting mentioned with two first-round picks, by the way, here. Just, you know. He did lead the NFL in receiving for four weeks last year, which is insane. But, look, I'm not saying I'm all in on him. I'm just saying that's Here's my point. My point is, I think that there's enough around Jalen Hurts to be like, hey, you got a flash this year. Show us something. The cupboard isn't totally bare. And if they don't, I mean, they have extra first-round picks. They're probably going to have a Colts first-round pick next year. They have the Dolphins first-round pick. Like, great. They go through this year. If Hertz is the guy, awesome. They can, you know, build up around him next year. And if he's not, they've got the ammo to get a quarterback. I don't see the Eagles in terms of disarray. I just mean uh, functionally in disarray. Like, you're right. Like, And and that's why, like, I would have loved the Eagles, you know, to take a quarterback at six if they had stayed there. That would have been awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, this this was a responsible overall execution of the plan. And I also think – and I, I could make this argument both ways. I know a lot of Eagles fans, BLG, hated the Landon Dickerson pick. And it obviously – you know – I think people hate this because it crystallizes reality because people are like, why are we doing this? Jason Kelsey's still here. You know, it's like, well, yeah, the end is the end is coming. And so, like, I'm fascinated to see what this team looks like when all of the remnants of the Super Bowl team is gone. And I, I think that that will be a really interesting state of the Eagles overall. Like, I mean, I'm surprised Zach Ertz is still on the team. Um, but I, like, again, there's a lot of smart moves, I think being made with regards to the future. I, d- I didn't think that I was going to come here and say that, but I mean, a spade is a spade. And like, I think the Eagles were very smart. They got lucky, uh, that Devonte Smith fell to them. Um, I, I do think, and I know we all want to talk about Justin Fields, but if he is a superstar, it will be hilarious to look back at all of the teams that passed on him, but specifically the Eagles, if Jalen Hurts doesn't pan out. All right, so now can we get to Justin Fields? Because I do have something on him, too. Wow, BLG wants to get off the Eagles. Because he knows knows if Fields looks good, he's going to have to, you know, rue the day that the Eagles took Devontae Smith. And then the take will be, it actually worked out that the Eagles passed on Justin Fields (laughs) because now now they have so-and-so. I actually want to get into this in part because we'll be talking about, you know, more Eagles, Cowboys, NFC stuff on NFC's mixtape today. Um, but with Justin Fields, because there was some talk about that after the Eagles, you know, traded up. Um, they're like, why wouldn't you take Justin Fields? You know, Jalen Hurts isn't a sure thing. And I get that to some extent. I think this idea, and I'm kind of pivoting to the Bears here, like that the because if you look by the consensus, like draft grades and everything that have been put out, like the Bears are number one. Everyone thinks the Bears won the draft. They nailed it. They got Justin Fields. They know better than everyone. Why all of a sudden do we think that the Bears 100% know what they're doing at quarterback when we look at their track record of quarterbacks and it's overpaying Mike Glennon an insane amount? It's trading up one spot as stats knows with the 49ers, right? For Mitchell Trubisky and a move that made no sense. It is trading for Nick Foles, overpaying for him. It is having interest in getting Carson Wentz. They couldn't get him because Wentz didn't want to go there, but like they wanted him this offseason. Like, and then they, this is the same franchise that says QB1 Andy Dalton. At least, you know, we'll see how long that lasts now with Justin Fields in Chicago. But just, I just, I'm not totally sold on Justin Fields, like being this like home run dynamite pick for them. I get there's hope there. I think I like Justin Fields, the talent. Just some of the things that I was hearing leading up to the draft kind of make me believe he might be like a Carson Wentz. And I have been burned badly by that in terms of like you can't just look at talent, on-field talent and athleticism and everything. You have to look at uh, how does this player like 
operate in terms of uh, being humbled and whatnot and, and coachability. Like all that matters a lot to me. And by contrast, I think the 49ers got a good pick when you're just looking at character and everything with Trey Lance because I've heard very, very good things about him. But I'm just not sold that like 100% that Justin Fields is this no-brainer slam dunk pick. Fields was the guy I thought the Niners were going to take it to at three. Um, I just, if you're the Bears and you've never, ever had a quarterback, basically in your entire franchise's history, it's it's pretty insane that they really have never had like an incredible quarterback for decades. You had to do this move. You had to do this move. Pace and Nagy are hanging on by a thread, right? The thinnest of job security there. Fields is falling in the draft, and I get that like he may not work out, but what else should they have done in the first round, right? Like None of us know if Justin Fields is going to be any good, but you have to roll those dice if you're the Bears, don't you, RJ? Yeah, I think um... – I don't. I promise this isn't a shot at the 49ers, but I think the draft. The draft sometimes overthinks itself. That and BLG, you mentioned that with Justin Jefferson last year, and how Devonte Smith could be that you know this year's version of that at wide receiver. I think Justin Fields could be this year's version of that at quarterback. Like I think during the draft you know, or the, the draft process, people you know people look at Zach Wilson, who might be a fine quarterback himself. People look at Trey Lance, and like I think. Uh, people love to say stuff like this, but like if you go to an average bar, like any bar in America, right. And you know, you put on the college tape of these players, the college games they played, like think about, think about what Twitter was like during the, the college football playoff. Like Justin Fields looked like the consensus top, you know, dude after Trevor Lawrence. And so in a, in a sense, I think Chicago got really lucky and maybe they're just due for luck. Um, I think it's very, very, very possible that they walked away with the second best quarterback in the draft here. And I do think he's different than every other dude that they have had interest in because he's athletic. Like when was the last time the bears had a, a, a quarterback of this mold and of this archetype? Um, I mean, it, I'm having trouble thinking of one. Like this is not like you, the, the names you ripped, like maybe Mitchell Trubisky, I suppose. Like, he's uh, athletic. He's just bad. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is, this is different. And I, I also think, I think it should be mentioned that, they made this move the day that the Aaron Rodgers drama reached what is so far its pinnacle and that the Minnesota Vikings were reportedly wanting Justin Fields themselves. I mean, this, this is a, a, I mean, it's a gamble. There's no doubt about it, but it's, it's a unique gamble in that they're not just betting on themselves, but they're betting while betting against their division rivals. I mean, they could be setting themselves up very nicely to be in, in not cruise control position, but at least in pole position within the NFC North for a very long time. Yeah, I don't want to say that like the Bears made the wrong move, to be clear here. I think what especially in their situation, they're desperate. They had to do this. But I think that factors into it for me. Like they're so desperate that they're willing to take this guy who is falling further than expected. And I just want to say, I'm not saying that like Justin Fields is going to be terrible. I'm just saying it's not a slam dunk to me. I don't know why it's being assumed it's a hundred percent chance he's going to be great when like sometimes when players fall, it's for a reason. And it's not because like, oh, everyone's dumb and they totally just didn't take this guy for some reason. Like sometimes guys fall because there's things there we don't always know. And I think with quarterback especially, and it's something I've talked about with you stats, like there's a big part of the quarterback evaluation process that like we just don't get to see. Like you right. can't just look at the film and everything and say like that's the player. Like no, there's a lot of above the shoulders that goes on and I just don't know. I just It kind of made me wonder when Fields fell further than expected and it kind of made me wonder when and Chicago was the team most desperate to, to go up to get him that like, is this definitely going to work out? We'll see. Your point is fair. But what I would say is if you're going to, if you're going to act irrationally, like not that I know you're not saying that, but like 
this is the spot to do it for. Like it's a, it's for a quarterback, right? Like if you're, if you're going to embarrass yourself, like it's, it's in the name of a quarterback, which is why right now, if anybody's dumb in my mind, and I know you're not saying the bears are dumb, but the Panthers, what are you doing? I mean, like, and like, what are you doing passing on Justin Fields? What are the Broncos? I know we're talking about the NFC here, but what are the Broncos doing? Maybe the Aaron Rodgers thing works out. What are the Giants doing? What are the Eagles doing? Like, and I know that they're in different spots, but like, though, like this could really, I think the Panthers are the team that this could really look the worst on. And that's why, like, if we're talking about like overrated things and, you know, I know Christian McCaffrey is going to show up later, so no offense to him, but like, what is, (laughs) what is Matt Rule doing here? Like Matt Rule has has been given all this hype for what? Like what? Like if if any team we 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 kind of trashed the Broncos yesterday for you did stats for banking on Teddy Bridgewater. The the Panthers are banking on Sam Darnold. Like what is going on there? That's that's the most egregious thing here. I would rather if I was if I had to be a team, I'd rather be Chicago giving up what I did to go get Justin Fields than be Matt Rule and the Panthers entrusting sure. Sam Darnold, who they had to pay for. Like it's not even like a free agent they had. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that Justin Fields has a chance to be like mentioned the way we talk about Mahomes and Watson, like how Josh everybody Allen. passed on all these guys. Yeah, um, but I agree. And I think the Panthers got into a little bit of trouble because they just flat out threw it out there, right? Like their owner threw it out there. Everybody knew that David Tepper and the Panthers were all in on getting a franchise quarterback. To me, that's why you don't say these things so publicly. That's why I get why the 49ers never corrected the narrative that they wanted Mac Jones. You never want people to have a bead on what you're going to do. And so when the Panthers said they were going to go all out, and then when when things with Deshaun Watson blew up, I feel like they felt pressure to do something. And so then it was like, okay, we got to get somebody. Okay, well, I guess we'll get Sam Darnold because he's 23 and maybe he could be better if he's not in New York. And then because they got Sam Darnold, they're like, well, we can't not pick up his fifth round or his fifth year option. We'll look stupid. We gave up all these picks to get him. So then they pick up his fifth year option and then they can't draft Justin Fields when he starts falling because, well, we've already invested in Sam Darnold. So I think they just, they got into like quicksand basically. It just kept getting worse for Carolina. I think uh, the Deshaun Watson thing really has shaped the NFL offseason for a number of teams. You look at the 49ers, like when they made that trade up, it was kind of when, you know, the things about the the allegations about Deshaun Watson were getting more and more, you know, damning and serious. And same thing with the Panthers. Like, I I think that was the Panthers plan. I think it was even out there that David Tepper, like, was willing to go more all in than anyone on Deshaun Watson. And this was, again, prior to the allegations. But then they came out and then they had to pivot. So I totally think that's been like a huge uh, uh, inflection point or whatever you want to call it. Speaking of the Carolina Panthers, I mentioned earlier, Rachelle Prevett from Bleeding Green Nation had a chance to catch up with Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey last week. Why don't we play that for you now? Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Rachel Prevet, and today I am joined by a very special guest, Carolina Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey. Christian, thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited to have you. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. And I'm aware that you're joining me on behalf of Body Armor's One More Ad Campaign. And so this ad campaign is titled One More, and it focuses on the hard work and the determination that athletes put in on the daily. So how do you channel that one more mentality both on and off the field? It was such a fun campaign to launch because I think it holds true to so many different athletes. Um, 
and, and you know something that's not just on the field or in training but off the field as well and I think it's just you know that one more that that strive for greatness that strive for you know being better constantly you know no matter what you've accomplished good or bad uh, just that the constant strive for improvement so I think that's just overall what it represents you know when I think about it I think of uh, Kobe Bryant, who was, you know, obviously a, one of the original family members of the Body Armor team and one of the biggest sports icons and, and leaders in, in our generation and, and in the world of sports. And he used to say, there is no best, there's just better. And I think that's what the One More campaign really resembles uh, to, a, to a whole. I love that, especially how, you know, we all know that Kobe embodied this Mamba mentality. So it kind of, you know, plays to that a little bit as well. That's awesome. That's no really doubt. Awesome. Yep, exactly. But um, I want to jump right into it. So Teddy Bridgewater was traded to the Denver Broncos. So what was your initial reaction to that? Oh, man. I mean, the NFL is such a crazy business. <laughs> you know, guys come and go all the time. Um, Teddy's a great friend of mine and a, and a great teammate. Uh, I was bummed I couldn't play with him more. But, you know, I think it, it holds true to who he is that he's continuing to get opportunities because the player he is teammate is and uh you know he's going to denver and obviously um you know being from denver uh the first thing i did was hit him up and uh ask him, you know if he ever needed anything or i'm sure he'll he'll be just fine but uh that's that's my hometown so i know everybody in denver is extremely excited to have him he'll be missed here in carolina and you know definitely somebody who i have the utmost respect for I love how you just talked about, you know, you hinted a little bit at relationships and clearly relationships are important in the league. And most recently, Sam Darnold was acquired from the New York Jets. And I, I also saw that you've been working out with him. So do you feel that you've been developing a relationship with him and getting a sense of chemistry being built with your new, your new quarterback? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've had the privilege of working out with him a few different times. I you know, played against him at USC, so I've known him for a really long time. And, you know, I talked with, uh, this was even before we got him, but, uh, you know, some of my roommates back, uh, back at Stanford who were defensive players said that he was by far the best quarterback that we faced in college. And, you know, obviously the NFL is a tough business and, and sometimes, uh, you know, you, you can control only what you can control. But when you put on the tape, uh, with Sam, you realize, how good of a player he is and all the different plays that he can make. Uh, so I'm ex- I'm extremely excited to have him here. I think he's going to do amazing things. Uh, he's got all the talent in the world. He's got the right mindset. He's a great leader. So um, definitely excited to, to share the backfield with him. And what are you looking most forward to as you enter your fifth season in the league? <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, I, I love football so much. You know, I think the biggest thing is the, is the you know, I, I have a new perspective of the game after last year and being hurt. Um, and so I'm just looking forward to playing again. Uh, it's been a long time since I've, you know, felt 100% playing football and had to sit out a large portion of the season last year. And that was really tough on me. So I think the biggest thing I'm excited for is just to play, you know, to get out there and do, you know, what I believe I was put on this earth to do and that's play football. Coming back from an injury, how have you been preparing for this upcoming season? Um, oh man, it's a lot. You know, obviously, I, th- I think the biggest thing is just taking pride in everything I do, whether it's what I'm eating, you know, how I'm sleeping, how I'm hydrating. I, I'm, I've been very locked in as far as training goes. So I'm just taking it one day at a time, one step at a time. You know, obviously, I've set my offseason goals, I've set my new goals. We're in the heart of OTAs right now. So 
Uh, it's been good just being able to get together with a lot of the guys and start to, you know, start to try to put this thing together because we've got a great team. And, um, you know, like you said, and like, like this whole campaign and one more is, you know, it's just fun being able to continue to work and find different ways to be great. Uh, when it comes to football, you know, you're, you're never there. So mm-hmm. that's something that, uh, that I'm excited for this year. What were some of the off-season goals that you were trying to accomplish? You mentioned you accomplished some of them. So what were some of those goals? Uh, you know, you've got you know, goals in the weight room, goals, you know, specific times that you want to hit, different drills. And, and, and really, for me, it's just, you know, you can have accountability goals, too. You know, I want to make sure I, you know, I, don't, I don't eat X amount of cheat meals or whatever. You know, little, little yeah. things like that. I'm always trying to uh, find, you know, fun challenges to do in, in the off-season. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different little things, but uh, I enjoy that part of it. You know, just trying to create, you know, if you look at your, your body and, and that's something that I've been fascinated with is UFC and Formula One and all these sports that are crazy. And, you know, a Formula One car, you, you're constantly working on it to make it the fastest possible. And that's really what we do too. So I just kind of having that mindset of every day is a step in either the right direction or the wrong direction. And it's really up to you whether in what direction you want to go in. What advice would you give to the draft prospects as they transition into the league? Um, you know, obviously everybody who gets drafted or is on an NFL roster, whether you're on the practice squad or not, you're there for a reason. Um, the biggest thing I'd say is to believe in yourself and to, to never be satisfied. You know, there's always something, there's always a challenge. Uh, you could have a great year and, and then they bring in somebody else to take your spot. It's just the way it works. Um, you know, there's so many different scenarios that can happen. There's so many different people who have had success, whether you're first round or sixth round or undrafted. So my advice would be stay hungry, uh, keep your head down, keep working, learn from the guys in front of you. Uh, you know, maybe some things are original, but, but everybody is in, inspired and influenced by something that somebody's done in the, in the past. So for me, you know, I got so lucky. I had guys like Keekly, uh, Julius Peppers, Thomas Davis, Camden, Greg Olson. Uh, guys, Jonathan Stewart, you know, I had guys like that in the locker room that I was able to pick their brain on how they approach the game. How do they recover? How do they prepare? How do they watch film? Thanks again to Christian for the time. Okay, RJ has a Panthers hot take that he wants to give, so we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear RJ's Panthers hot take, and we'll do more winners and losers in the NFC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I have an idea on who the future quarterback of the Carolina Panthers is. Okay. Okay. I thought you guys were going to guess, right? Oh, we were waiting. Well, so I think that this team is among the biggest losers in the draft, and I've already mentioned them, but the Minnesota Vikings. Wow. I think Kirk Cousins. Your team, your guy. 
is potentially the future quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. Because, the, mm. like, this happens, like, every two years, right? Like, we reach a point where, like, every team either has a franchise quarterback, like Dak Prescott, or they have a plan, right? Or, like, they have a, a rookie or they have a, a second-year guy. Even, like, Daniel Jones or Jalen Hurts kind of qualify as plans, right? You, you, There are very, very rarely teams truly in the wilderness the way the Panthers are. Like, Sam Donald is not a plan. Sam Donald is the last second, you know, figured out whatever narrative. And the Minnesota Vikings missed out on Justin Fields. ESPN's Courtney Cronin reported that they were in potentially on when he was falling, to your point, BLG, and they were interested in trading up or interested in taking him if he fell. Obviously, they also had interest in Rashawn Slater. But they missed out on him with their own division rival landing him on the day that the Aaron Rodgers drama was hitting peak drama. Like, that is a huge, huge misstep. That's why, again... For a quarterback, you do whatever it takes. And so then BLG, they they actually committed an even worse sin than you and I have outlined. We have said you never take a quarterback in the second round. You know what you definitely don't do is you take a quarterback with one of the very first picks in the third round because that's even worse than a second round pick. That's you then telling yourself, oh, we would have taken him in the second round. He's actually a first round guy. We really believe in him. Like Kellen Mond, friend of the SB Nation NFL show, went to the greatest school in the world. However, this is that that's a more like dramatic reach to me than Justin Fields. Like that's really trying to make fetch happen if, you know, so to speak. And so like the Vikings are going to be forced to, you know, like the, the moment that Kirk looks bad, which will happen. I like him more than most, but like, I'm not, you know, lying to myself about it. The moment that looks bad, they're going to have to lean on Kellen Mond and he's not going to be ready for that. And then it's all going to blow up in their face. And next off season, they're going to move on from Kirk cousins and Carolina is going to be one of the only teams that has a true open spot. Boom, Kirk to Carolina. Crack the code. Um, yeah, I totally agree about you with with Mon. And I guess I didn't even think about that from the field angle that they were in play. I think the Mon pick signals that, right? Probably confirms that they were thinking quarterback. And they should be because we all know Kirk Cousins for as fine, cromulent, if you will, as he might be in the regular season. I mean, he's just not going to get it done in the playoffs. I know that's like a very like uh, what, like sports radio, like kind of hot take or whatever thing or, or reductive take to say, but it's true. Like he's not, you're not counting on him to win big time games. He just, that, that's not Kirk Cousins. That's not who he's been. So uh, it, it makes total sense that they're looking for an exit strategy on him. And I don't love the idea as we always talk about of like picking one where they did, because it's like, okay, like how much do you really love that guy? You're basically kind of forcing the pick on the quarterback as opposed to really like just taking him because he's the best player on the board at that spot. I think that your Kirk Cousins plan is going to be a little delayed, RJ, because he has a $45 million dead cap hit if they get rid of him after this year, which is stunning to me. But I think that the Kirk Cousins is going to look fine. I think he's going to produce the way he always has. The only difficulty will be if he gets into a couple situations where the offensive line doesn't protect him because he can't move at all. And Kellen Mond absolutely can. And so that's when people are going to be like, well, we wouldn't be so bad if we could have a quarterback that could move. But, I mean, Chris Sims loves Kellen Mond. Absolutely loves him. Had him, I think it was his third best quarterback in the entire class. So if Mond is as good as Sims says, then it's great for Minnesota. Well, if, if Mond is as good as Sims says, then the 49ers are pretty stupid for taking Trey Lance. I mean, because... Well, unless Lance is also good. I mean, but well, if he's not if he's not better than Kellen Mond, then the 49ers missed. Kyle Shanahan went to the cave in the Poconos or whatever and studied all these quarterbacks <laughs> for what? I mean, stats, how have we gone this long? You haven't even told us what you think about Trey Lance in extreme variety. That's what we've been waiting for. 
I don't know what to think about Trey Lance. Kyle likes him. <laughs> so he must be good. Have I been watching North Dakota State? No. Kyle thinks he's pretty good. Okay. I'm a little worried about his accuracy because he seems to only throw to wide open dudes. And he does this weird hitch in his throwing motion where he kind of like mm. drops down and then pops back up, which is really weird. But look, I'm not going to pretend to know if he's any good. I know he's going to a great head coach. He's got great people around him. This Everything should be set. There should be no excuses for Trey Lance. Now I just want to see the 49ers do the smart thing and tell Jimmy Garoppolo to get the hell out of town and start Lance from day one. Sitting him makes no sense. He's played one game in 2020. You're going to sit him for this year, then give him the reins when he's played one game in two years? That makes no sense and don't do this stupid Taysom Hill package where he's running in to run the wildcat or some garbage like that no kick Jimmy out kick the ex out of the apartment before you bring the new girlfriend in and that's all there is to it BLG um did the Niners get it right they the Niners made the draft all about them and so they invited all the criticism if you want to unheap it I feel like everything I've heard about Trey Lance, you know, kind of opposite of fields has just been really good, really glowing uh, off the field. So I feel like when you're looking at upside, I think the swing the 49ers are taking here just in terms of upside is worth it. Like if it if it works out, if it if you're getting maximum potential here, the ceiling I like with Trey Lance, I think he has his, you know, his, his head is uh, he's a good head on his shoulders. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And I Quality obviously head. think the talent is there. Quality head. Um, uh, so I'll make that a drop or not. Then <laughs> they he's, he's young. Obviously, extremely young. I think a lot of room to grow. I just think it's such a crazy projection. That's the thing I get hung up on. Like, how can you say with any confidence that, like, you know what this player is going to be in the NFL? This is a guy who had 318 passing attempts in college at the FCS level. Now compare that to like Trevor Lawrence, who had 1,138, to Zach Wilson, who had 837, to Justin Fields, 618. Kellen Mond you know, had be- a billion, by the way. Kellen Mond had a billion, apparently. And people say like, oh, Mac Jones, you know, only started 17 games too or whatever. Yeah, but Jones like had 556 and that was in the SEC. So still more, 240 more almost than Trey Lance. Again, in the SEC versus the FCS. Like it's a it's a huge projection for the 49ers to make. I think, you know, they're betting on a good, uh, a player with good football character and everything. So uh, I think, again, it's an upside play. But like, man, there is... It's it's a really boomer bust kind of move. Like this is either going to work out great, I think, for the 49ers, and they found like the ne- NFL's next great quarterback, or this guy is just going to be like a total bust. I agree with BLG stats, and I know that you're aware of that. Um, and I mean, this was the position the Niners are in, and that's why, like, unlike the Vikings, you either do this or you you know figure it out or you get lucky. That's really all it is. You either go all in on your guy like the Eagles did once upon a time, that blew up in their face, just had to say that, or like the Niners are doing now, or you get lucky and you can get lucky a number of ways. Like you can get lucky like the la- Cowboys did. Right, you can get lucky landing Dak Prescott in the 4th round. You can get lucky like John Elway and have somebody come available and be a legend that convinces them <laughs> to come join your team. Like there are other ways to get lucky, but this is this is the only way you can truly manufacture a quarterback. Um, and so I, I, if I was you though, I would be so terrified that Justin Fields is going to be awesome for the bears. Like that, that potential would haunt me for a long time, but you don't have to get the best quarterback in the class. You don't, you have but, to get but a guy it's different. Cause you paid a lot. Like that's, that's what's different here. And like people will forever measure matter. it that way. Does Eli Manning, the best quarterback in his class? No, but he won oh two Super God. Bowls. I don't, so I don't you, think you, 
I don't think using Eli Manning as a defense is, is going to work no, the, the way you think The point is. is you don't have to get the best player. You don't. You have to get a guy that you can win with. So it doesn't matter if Justin Fields is better than Trey Lance, if Trey Lance wins Super Bowls, right? What's the So what's the barometer of success for Trey Lance? Like, How is it a successful trade up for the 49ers? Is it a Super Bowl? Like, what is it to you? Yeah, if you draft a guy third overall and he gets you a Super Bowl, that's a success. Like, okay, you can't so say Eli Manning else? is not a success, right? Anything I mean, you can... else is a failure then? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. I think he has to win a Super Bowl. When you mm, trade three right. first-round picks and you give up, you know, what they gave up, that monster haul, and basically wrecked the trade market, I think you have to you have to at least get to a Super Bowl. How about that? No, you moved nah, the goalposts nah. a little bit. Jimmy Garoppolo uh, got to a Super Bowl stats, and that's the yeah. you hate more than anything in the world. That w- and that was a successful trade for them. But that he was not three first-round picks. Yeah, so? So, like, you can't say that the, the cost, you know, is the same. You're, uh, you're equating the cost to acquiring Trey Lance as it was to acquiring Jimmy Garoppolo by making the goal the same thing. Like, no, the goal – and, in fact, like, based on the cost to Jimmy Garoppolo, like, if, if that's a success, like – Trey Lance would have to win multiple Super Bowls, like, but based on like investment, you know, allocation. No, I don't think so. How many quarterbacks in the history of the league have ever gotten to multiple Super Bowls? I don't think that's fair. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo has been to multiple Super Bowls, by the way. No big deal. Look, (laughs) well, he's lost a lot of Super Bowls. (laughs) I I will say. Oh, you go. You go. I just had a question about. I've been thinking about Jimmy D uh, stats because of you and how much you want him gone. Like, but like. What's going to happen with him, though? Because I don't really see where the market is for him. And I also don't see how the 49ers can keep him at his current contract. I'm, I'm thinking in my head in terms of what makes sense for, like, potentially Jimmy and the team. is like he takes a pay cut and he comes back. Like, that's the – I don't – I just don't know. Like, where is he going to? Like, where are you shipping him off to? Who wants – no one wants to take that contract. That's a big part of why no one's trading for him. Like, he's going to have – for him to go somewhere else, he's going to have to, like, take a pay cut or something because no one is trading for that contract that he's on. And right. I don't know that like the 49ers uh, really want to cut him. Um, so like, what does it come down to? What happens? I mean, if you believe what the 49ers have said that, but when they made the trade, they talked to Jed York, the owner and said, can we make this trade and keep Jimmy's contract on the books? Supposedly the owner said, yes, they do have the cap room for it. It's crazy to me that they could have potentially a $26 million backup, which is what they should do. I mean, they could save $24 million by cutting him. I think, Honestly, I think they should just cut him. If you can't find a trade partner, which I agree, it's kind of unlikely barring an injury to somebody else somewhere, just get him off the roster. There's no benefit to having him on the roster. If Jimmy Garoppolo comes out in week one and plays Not even like on he, a pay cut? Like if he would take a pay cut, you wouldn't want him back? No, because I feel like it just creates like a bad situation. So Jimmy won a lot of games when he was healthy without really playing that spectacularly. So... If he does that again, then it's going to be like, well, why are we ever going to get rid of this guy? We don't need Trey Lance. We're winning with Jimmy. But then if Jimmy comes out in week one and plays like he did last year in week one, before he was hurt, before the 49ers had all their massive injuries, and he played like absolute ass and was the reason they lost that game against the Cardinals, people are going to be calling for Trey Lance. And then half the locker room is going to want them to go to Trey Lance. Like, it just creates too much bad juju. Like, End all the questions. You can avoid all of that potential Michigas by just getting this guy off the roster, either with a trade or just by releasing him. It's it's crazy to me to keep him there, especially when you consider the salary cap savings. I have a few things to say here. One, uh, you mentioned the locker room stats. I think the danger, too, 
and I'm going to use the Eagles as an example in a lot of ways here, is the locker room loving Jimmy Garoppolo, like the way they love Nick Foles, right? Like, and that's like George Kittle loves Jimmy Garoppolo, like kind of an important person in Trey Lance's life now, obviously. Um, so like, and if Jimmy has success, you're right. And then has one bad game, the locker room is going to be like, why are you getting rid of this dude? If, if, if we're winning games, blah, blah, you know, whatever. Um, so that's a difficult situation. I think the Eagles did it right early on with Carson Wentz in that they moved Sam Bradford and they had the opportunity to, despite having signed Chase Daniel that same off season, right? BLG. Um, I mean, they, they made Carson Wentz the guy they would later go on to completely destroy that. But I mean, still they did it right early on. Um, and so, yeah, I, but Stats, I do think in a weird way, despite your like hatred for him, you overvalue Jimmy Garoppolo. I can name probably three different quarterbacks if I was a, a, a quarterback team, quarterback needy team that needed one all of a sudden that I would rather have than Jimmy Garoppolo. I would rather trade for Drew Locke if I was a quarterback needy team, just because obviously rookie contract still and like the potential, like I can I can lie to myself on potential there. You know what I mean? I would rather trade for Mitchell Trubisky, like even, you know what I mean? Like I like seriously, like the, the financial side of it matters. I mean, I don't want anything to do with Jimmy Garoppolo's contract. I don't want anything to do with Jimmy Garoppolo's talent level. And I don't want the locker room questions that already exist in San Francisco permeating into my locker room. Like this dude has had success. Why is he not starting over like quarterback X or quarterback Y? I mean, so I, I don't think Jimmy is, is coveted in any way, shape or form. Okay, then get then cut him. I don't care. Yeah, like that's yeah, fine. That's, that's the only practical solution. So that's why my question to you is: um, We talked about like goals and how this is a failure for you. Is it a failure? Two questions: If Jimmy Garoppolo is on the roster come week one, and failure doesn't mean like galactic failure, but failure on some level. And in that sense, in that spirit, is it a failure if Trey Lance is not starting week one? Yes to both. It has to be. I just don't see why you would do anything different. All Trey Lance's issues are the fact, like you said, BLG, that he's super young and that he hasn't thrown that many. Like, he literally needs reps. So you're going to have Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster getting the reps in practice or taking half the reps, let's say, away from Trey Lance. Like, there is just no benefit to him being on the roster for the 49ers. I do not get it at all. It only creates problems. It doesn't make anything else better. So at what point then, and I think we have to be practical, right? Like the Niners aren't going to draft Trey Lance and then five minutes later cut Jimmy Garoppolo. So like we have to allot for time. But like if we fast forward, if he's on the, if he's on the roster at training camp even, at what point do we start to question the mighty Kyle Shanahan? Because to your point stats, like there's no logical rhyme or reason why Jimmy Garoppolo should be here. So like at what point does this get placed at his feet that like he's creating this hysteria? That is feet now. It's everything is at his feet. He runs the 49ers. John Lynch had as much say about who they drafted as I did. Kyle Shanahan runs the show there. It's on his feet. And honestly, like think of the first preseason game, right? Let's say if there's a preseason game, Jimmy Garoppolo gets in for his like one or two possessions like they usually do. And then Trey Lance comes in and Trey Lance, let's say, lights it up. The rabble's going to start right from then the next day what if he doesn't and then they feel like public pressure to keep jimmy garoppolo no see then i it's like yeah well he needs to he needs the attempts he's 20 (laughs) years old he's got to get like to me there's patience there with trey lance if he struggles and if he's good the expectations are going to be sky high so like you're starting the trouble from then so it's on kyle shanahan's feet right now and i just think that it's he's asking for trouble the longer jimmy is there 
So I guess we didn't really crystallize if the 49ers are a winner or a loser. I guess I lean towards loser just because of the sense of Ooh. like the, the the downside of it, just the potential downside. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in between on them. I'm a, I don't know on them fully. I don't have a strong win or lose. One, another team that we all, I think, like to talk about as a loser, um, the New Orleans Saints. RJ, you actually wanted to talk about them. So I want to throw this to you. But my quick thought on them is I actually like who they drafted defensively. I think they act – they now everyone was like Peyton Turner might be a reach in the first round, but I think he's a good player. Um, Pete Werner, the linebacker. Also, Paulson Adebo, I really wanted him for the Eagles, uh, cornerback from Stanford with like great ball production at eight interceptions before not playing last year. But they took a quarterback. They kind of committed the sin. Uh, Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book, who – Uh, Greg Cassell, you know, obviously, for those who don't know, like film uh, study master, didn't like pull any punches with him and basically just said he's bad. (laughs) bad (laughs) Not good. Um, So my thought here, the Ian Book pick, if you like, again, that's that's the territory where it's fine. Right. Like that's the I'm trying to hit the lotto territory. So, like, I don't have a true issue with that. Um, I think that's different than our like our normal categorical sin that we've talked about. But I just. I think if 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 I'm a Saints fan, it's so hard to look at the Bucks and what the Bucks are doing and how they just like massively reloaded. And like I don't even care that they are like I don't know if you guys know this by the way, the Bucks brought back all 22 starters from the Super Bowl, no big deal. Uh but like they are reloading and adding and not stopping. And I I mean the Saints are like the Saints there's uh, we talk so much about hubris in the NFL. There is no larger point of hubris than Kyle Shanahan's head and the New Orleans Saints organization. <laughs> because, again, like, it's like, oh, yeah, the Bucks won the Super Bowl. They have Tom Brady. Pfft, we got Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. And I'm not even saying, like, quarterback is the, the main point of, like, you know, discussion here. But, uh, like, their offense in general is – I mean, like, how many? There's they they drafted one offensive skill position player in the seventh round, and I'm not saying like they're in need of anything, but there were questions about Michael Thomas last year. I mean, like, so they, if anybody's like, you know, like playing hot potato with like a ticking time bomb, it's the Saints, and like, there's a lot of arrogance there. They just think they're going to show up and be able to challenge the defending Super Bowl champions. They had a lot of losses in New Orleans. Obviously, Breeze, Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook, like. It's not just the quarterback that, that they're going to have to sort of replace production at. And I agree, the Bucks are clearly the favorite in that division. You know, there's that old saying in the NFL, you either get better or you get worse, but you never stay the same. Well, the Saints right now are significantly worse than they were last year. Never mind the fact that they always blow it and choke in the playoffs. They'd be lucky to even get to the playoffs this year. I don't expect anything great from the Saints Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, give me a break. If Taysom Hill was so good, they would give him a regular position, either at running back or receiver or quarterback. The fact that they don't means he's not good enough to play any of them full time. I don't get the plan in New Orleans. I don't think it's going to work. I could easily see Sean Payton going seven and nine again. And this time he doesn't even have a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think quickly, BLG. And I, I think this was already true in some sense, in a lot of senses before the draft, but especially after the draft, and particularly after the, the first round. Atlanta is leaps and bounds ahead of New Orleans in the NFC South. Like the hierarchy now is Tampa, Atlanta, and I don't even know that New Orleans is, you know, ridiculously far ahead of Carolina, you know, future home of Kirk Cousins. But I mean, like, Atlanta added, I love that Atlanta said, you know what, we're just going to go all in on Matt Ryan. I, and I would have, I would have convinced myself to love it if they had gone Justin Fields, but they were in a unique spot. 
I mean, I, I don't know how New Orleans thinks they're going to be competitive this season. And I, I just, I, it's, it's a really curious way to go about it. Saints are the Kirk Cousins. Oh, of, of maybe teams. he's the future Saints quarterback next year. Whoa. <laughs> uh, also in the losers I had, not even for what they did in the draft, but how could we not put the Packers as losers? Oh. I mean, Aaron Rodgers isn't coming back, right? Like he's not. He's, he's just like, why? How? Like, how is how is there a point of return from this? Like, I don't I don't see it. The only way Aaron Rodgers comes back is if they rework his contract and that he has significant ties to the Packers for future years. That's what he's worried about. Ever since Jordan Love got drafted, he's been worried that they that they're going to give him the boot, just like they gave Brett Favre the boot when Rodgers was there. The way the contract is set up now, it's basically year to year for the Packers, which they absolutely want in case he falls off, gets hurt, whatever. Rodgers is smart enough to see the writing on the wall. That's why he's stomping his feet and holding his breath, because he wants a reworked deal that secures his future in Green Bay. If they can get that to his liking, that's how I think it comes back. But until then, he does strike me as the kind of guy that's like, eh, okay, I'll go do Jeopardy. I'll go do other stuff and forget it. So I thought about tweeting this on Monday night, and then I knew we were going to talk about this. And so I'm waiting to tweet it with the episode because I'm a company man. Um, you know, the tired, wired, inspired meme. So tired is Aaron Rodgers hates the Green Bay Packers, right? Wired is Aaron Rodgers is doing the Green Bay Packers um, with Jordan Love. What Brett Favre did the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Inspired is Aaron Rodgers is doing this to Jordan Love because he knows that Brett Favre doing it to him made him an elite NFL quarterback. So Aaron Rodgers actually loves the Green Bay Packers so much that he's ensuring that Jordan Love will have the same chip on his shoulder for his entire NFL career. So he'll be an incredible quarterback. I don't know how I'll fit this into less than 280 characters with the episode link. So that challenge is on me. Uh, but yeah, I also, I slack this to stats on Monday night. BLG, the world regards Aaron Rodgers as this like king of psychological warfare, right? Like everybody loves to talk about that. And it's like, I, I, I know Terry Bradshaw went a little like hot take sports radio-y about it on WFAN, but it is a fair point that it's like, dude, how are you so unbelievably threatened by this situation? Like, even if it's not Jordan Love, even if it's just the Packers, like, just leave. Look, just, I mean, like, people people love to say, like, oh, Aaron Rodgers wants what Tom Brady wants. Does he really? Be, or because, like, he's he's potentially facing an opportunity where the Packers will move on from him. And then he could just hit the open market. I mean, this actually is a little bit backwards in my mind because in this hypothetical, Green Bay accrues capital for him. Like, if he really hates them, then just keep balling out until they cut you and then move on because you're Aaron Rodgers. You're the king of psychological warfare. It's it's very strange how he's so, you know, incredibly impacted by all this. So Aaron Rodgers has all the leverage. Like, he can just retire. The Jeopardy thing, by the way, is so clearly – I think I said it at the time. Like, it was so clearly – I mean, I'm sure he's interested in it too, but it's such like a power move in terms of like, hey, I can just walk away and do this. Like it's it's that is totally not like irrelevant. Like that, that was a part of his thinking. That's how Aaron Rodgers thinks. So, you know, I think you can say he shouldn't feel a certain way, but he can. The bottom line is he is afforded to because he has all the leverage. There's no precedent, by the way, too. Like trading an MVP, the NFL MVP, like one year. Like it's just like he he's in the spot where he can either get what he wants and the, the Packers cave. Or he retires. I kind of think it's interesting how he doesn't have a no trade clause. I'm almost wondering how that didn't happen. Because, uh, you know, you look at Russ, you look at like Deshaun, like these quarterbacks have no trade clauses. And that would give him even more leverage. But I think even without that, he still has a ton. And I think ultimately, like he is going to get what he wants, right? 
Um, maybe. <laughs> I mean, the Jeopardy thing is weird because it's not like he needs another gig. It's not like, well, if he didn't have the Jeopardy thing, we would be wondering how Aaron Rodgers would keep his lights on. Like, the dude's rich. He doesn't need another job after football. I just think that if he wants the GM to be fired, I don't know that that's actually going to happen. And like, why should you fire Brian Gutekunst because he drafted? I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought it was crazy to draft a quarterback when they did, but like trade up to do it, by the way, he's going to get fired for that. Like that's just not going to happen. So they need to just give Aaron Rodgers the contract he wants. Dude's playing at an MVP level. They've been to the NFC championship every year since they hired LaFleur. Like, they have every reason in the world to get this thing right. And this is where I feel like not having an owner hurts the Packers. I feel like a real owner, a centralized person, could get everybody in a room, clunk their heads together until this whole thing got straightened out. They don't have that, and this is the mess that they're in. I had two more winners I wanted to get to, including one still in the NFC North, which is the Lions, who I think they got good value in each round this year. Um, they got Penai Sewell, who a lot of people thought could be, you know, like the pick at four potentially for the Falcons. Like he was in play there um, before, you know, they took Kyle Pitts instead. They got Levi. I want to get this right. Own Zerike in the at number 41 overall and also Alim McNeil, which is apparently who Tom Donahoe from the Eagles wanted instead of Milton Williams in the, in the third round there. Um, so they built through the trenches. I think that's the right way to do that as they're starting up a new program. Also got Fatu Malafanwu, who we had here on the SB Nation NFL show. And uh, also Aman Ra St. Brown, who I think can come instantly and play for them in the slot. I just look at all their picks and all of them is like really good value to me. I think the Lions, this is a good like foundational draft for them. Might not be like flashy, but I think it's the right thing to do, especially, you know, you have Jared Goff here. Their offensive line, I think, is actually looking pretty decent now, and it's going to need to if Goff is there. So I said in the offseason earlier, this offseason rather, uh, with you, RJ, like my one of my more controversial opinions is that the Lions aren't a total joke with Dan Campbell, and they actually can figure this thing out. So I think they had a good draft. Here's the thing. We all heard the kneecap biter thing from Dan Campbell, and we were all like, ah, oh, this guy's just a meathead. We're like, we're immediately writing them off. But I agree with you, BLG. I didn't agree with getting Jared Goff, but they are doing things to help make him successful. And it's smart things. You know, it's not just like, oh, we'll get a wide receiver and it'll be all good. Like, no, they're helping him along the offensive line. We've seen he absolutely has to have that. Things go very, very wrong for Jared Goff when he is not protected. And if he is protected, he can be effective. So even though we kind of wrote Detroit off a little bit, they seem to be doing the smart thing. So we'll see what happens, how good of a game manager Dan Campbell is and all that stuff. We don't know. But I agree with you. I think they deserve a little bit of credit. I think the Lions, and this will sound like an insult, uh, but I mean in a complimentary way, are the Browns of the NFC. The Jared Goff trade, and again, this will sound like an insult, very reminiscent of the Brock Osweiler trade with the Houston Texans, right? Uh, in terms of absorbing a huge you know, uh, cap hit and whatnot. I am sort of rooting because, in fact, I think the NFC West is just full of a bunch of hubris overall. So I'm sort of rooting for the Lions to be better than the Rams this season. That would be <laughs> hilarious in just a number of ways. But, I mean, to get back to my Browns point, they're kind of building things up the same way, like accruing an enormous amount of capital, being smart. I think that Dan Campbell's very different than Hugh Jackson, which is why the Lions are already a step ahead in that capacity. Um, <laughs> and so, and again, the Lions also a winner by virtue of the Aaron Rodgers drama. The Vikings were the only team in the division to not take a leap forward 
under the assumption that he is going to be leaving the division. This could be a division where the Bears and Lions are atop, you know, it for a while. And that would be fun. Like, people talk so much about how, like, oh, yeah, the, the NFL is better when, like, classic teams are better. Like, not that the Lions were a classic team, but let them be good. Like, that would be fun. I would like to see that. I would like to see two premier teams on Thanksgiving every year in the Detroit Lions and Dallas Cowboys. As long as RJ's Thanksgiving is good, that's all that matters. Uh, sure, whatever. Uh, I, I always enjoy personally seeing the Cowboys lose on Thanksgiving. I, I, that's a big favorite tradition of mine. Uh, the Giants, though, I have them as winners, and not even necessarily because of what they did this year, because I think they got uh, snookered a little bit. I mean, the Eagles got Devontae Smith, and that's a hundred percent. You can't tell me like like they asked Dave Gettleman on radio or whatever it was, like if Devontae Smith was the guy they wanted at eleven, and like. It obviously was. He traded down for the first time ever. Like, why would he do that all of a sudden? And then they took a receiver at 20. So you can't tell me they didn't want Devontae Smith. Anyway, putting that aside, I think they're winners because, and probably the scariest thing maybe that any NFC's team did to me uh, in this draft was picking up that 22 first-round pick, um, which I think all of a sudden allows the Giants to pivot from Daniel Jones if slash when he falls on his face and like the rest of the roster might look good, but he's just not the guy. I mean, I am worried, and I think you should be too, RJ, there, of like Russell Wilson coming to the NFC East to play for the Giants because that's something that's been rumored about before. And I think about back to how Russell Wilson was playing in spring training with the Yankees. Like I, I think he would like to play for the Giants in, in New York, be the big big-time market a lot, and that the Giants have that first-round pick next year from the Bears. That scares me. Well, I mean, Russell Wilson's wife, obviously, her occupation um, would work more functionally in New York, East Rutherford, whatever you want to call it, um, much much more aptly than it does in Seattle. Uh, yeah, that would suck ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but like that – and and Chicago's off the board now, right? Like, I mean, that was the yeah. the Russell Wilson destination. And so New York, I think New York makes more sense than Philly. I'll say right now, and I'll say it again on the NFC's mixtape, which again, we haven't plugged enough. Check out the Blog and the Boys and Bleeding Green Nation uh, podcast feeds. Um, I think the Giants win an NFC East title sooner than the Eagles. Uh, Devontae Smith aside, I just I think they're better, and I think that they leveled the the capital playing field with the Eagles by trading back with Chicago. I mean, I know the Eagles might have another th- uh, first round pick next year, but that goes a long way, I think. And so, uh, especially if it sets them up for Russell Wilson. Well, it's a no trade clause too. That's what it comes back to, and I think Russ would rather you know. So he gets to dictate where he wants to go to some extent, and I, not that I think like he would say 100 percent no to Philly, but it's more about just wanting to be in New York, right? And the interesting thing, look at the Giants wide receivers. I really like what they have. Kadarius Toney, I think, could be a solid player. They have Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, John Ross, and Darius Slayton. Like, Daniel Jones, you better get it done. Saquon's coming back. Like, that is a damn good core around you to get it done. So if you flop, yeah, I agree. The Giants are in perfect position to move on if necessary. And, man. Think, think you about get Russell though, Wilson in New York. All of a sudden, Dak Prescott's reign as like the head of the NFC East falls flat fast. Think about how many, from a talent standpoint, elite offenses Jason Garrett has had the opportunity to oversee. It's just amazing <laughs> to me. Um, and so, like, honestly, more than Daniel Jones, that will be what holds the Giants back. And Daniel Jones will have to take the fall for it in 2021. All right, so there you have it. There's our NFC winners and losers. Obviously, the 49ers are the big winner. Everybody they pick is going to the Hall of Fame, and the Cowboys and Eagles will continue to be middling teams in the NFC East, as they have been for many, many years. 
Mm. We didn't mention, uh, well, BLG mentioned himself as a winner. I'm a winner uh, because I was on the Oddcast this week. Um, so help, <laughs> helping out the, um, you know, the the kids table of the SB Nation NFL show. So glad to, to you know, be the rising tide to lift, y'all, lift y'all's boats. Rate, review, subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. Please.